Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Follow to Lead, a twice a month journey into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host. And today we're going to be continuing our six-part series based on a presentation given by Archbishop Michael Miller, who was then the Secretary of the Congregation of Catholic Education in Rome. And it happened in 2005, and the name of the presentation was The Holy See's Teaching on Catholic Schools. And in this and the following programs in our series, we will be focusing on the five essential marks of Catholic education as outlined in the document. And hitchhiking on the four ecclesial marks of the Church, Archbishop Miller identified five scholastic marks that make a school essentially Catholic. And they are inspired by supernatural vision, founded on a a Christian anthropology, animated by communion and community, imbued by a Catholic worldview, and sustained by the witness of teaching. And by the way, for those who would like a copy of this document, we have a special edition of it located right on our website, and I will give you more information about that at the end of the program. But today we're going to be focusing on the second essential mark founded on a Christian anthropology. And to do this, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, Dr. Anthony Lillis. He is the professor of spiritual theology and the director of the Master of Arts program at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. He has served the church and assisted in the formation of clergy and seminarians for almost 30 years. And prior to St. Patrick's, he served at seminaries and houses of formation in the Archdiocese of Denver and the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He's a graduate of the Franciscan University in Steubenville, uh, completed a licentiate as well as doctoral studies in Rome at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas, also known as the Gregorian University. He founded, or excuse me, co-founded the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation and the High Calling Program for Priestly Vocations, and also founded the John Paul II Center for Contemplative Culture. Living in Oxnard, California with his wife, Agnes, they are blessed to be the parents of three young adult children. So, Anthony, welcome to the program. 
Well, thank you, Father. It's so good to be with you. Uh, uh, this is what a wonderful conversation you've you've taken up. This and so important for today. I couldn't agree more. And I know uh, last it was about last year that I first began teaching uh, on the four marks of the five marks as a part of a faith formation project. And I just fell in love with the dynamics that are present in this. And it's I think it's kind of gotten a resurgence, even though it's about 18 years old, it's gotten a resurgence in recent days. So I'm excited about that. Now, usually what we do as we begin the broadcast is we like to begin by giving our guests an opportunity to share a bit about themselves. So I'd like you to maybe take some time and tell us a little bit about your background and your upbringing. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm the son of a California farmer here in California, here in California, where I am right now. I'm actually at a retreat center up in the mountains, uh, with uh, some uh, Ukrainian Byzantine monks and uh, they're getting ready for Holy Week and it's been a beautiful time. Uh, th this place is was really important in my own uh, uh, faith journey. I, I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville uh, uh, and uh, I was I felt called to serve the church somehow. I thought at first it was in the priesthood. And, um, and as I stepped forward into that vocation, uh, it, it, my whole world fell apart and I was, uh, kind of not sure what to do. And, um, so I came, came back to California and, uh, worked at a soup kitchen and the founder of the soup kitchen, a certain father, Peter Crota had me come up to this very monastery where I'm at now and the, the abbot. Uh, told me that um, uh, I told him I was thinking of going to Rome. And he goes, yes, you must go to Rome and study. We need good teachers. And so I I uh, came, I, I ended up going to the Angelicum in Rome and um, it opened up um, the gift of uh, being able to teach in the church. And so I've been grateful ever since. Oh, that's great. And I just caught myself, as you said that, I said the Gregorian University, it's the Angelicum, that is the University of St. Thomas over there. Thank so, you. Thank just, you for the you, subtle correction there. You just made a whole bunch of Dominicans happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I guess I did. And so you've dedicated yourself to basically higher Catholic education. How did how did that come about? Was it just kind of a gradual kind of move in that area, or was there an intentionality about it? Well, I had always felt called uh, to to teach, uh, e even um, uh, in earlier parts of my uh, vocation. I um, in in life, the in prayer. Uh, uh, God blessed me with a wonderful gift of prayer where where I felt um, uh, his direction giving me purpose in life. But very early on, um, I noticed that um, I had a gift for teaching. And and so as I got through um, Steubenville, I, I actually got to work with uh, some of people in uh, who you're who are listening to us now probably know Jim Beckman in the youth ministry world and mm -hmm. and other wonderful teachers and kept on coming back to this well uh, after I went to the Angelicum I met a lot of people and it was a, a, a beautiful time uh, uh, but uh, I met my wife too and 
we got married and uh, uh, we went back to my family's farm here in California and and my uncle came out and he goes, Anthony, I, I got some news for you. You're not a farmer. You're too hard on our equipment. You you need to become a teacher. And so and so I sent my CV all across the country and a pastor in Denver, Colorado, Marshall O'Mara picked it out and said and asked me to come out. He said, I want you to be the director of our RCIA program and our religious education program and to help out teaching in our Catholic school. Uh uh, but most of all, the most important thing I need you to do is get my parish ready for World Youth Day. Wow. And so that was Denver in 1992. And uh, that parish ended up hosting 5,000 families. Uh, uh, five, uh, excuse me. They, the families there hosted 5,000 pilgrims, I should say. And it was so transformational to be in Denver at that time. And to see the powerful things that God was doing. And uh, under Cardinal Stafford and then um, uh, Archbishop Charles, uh, teaching opportunities presented themselves as they were trying to reform um, uh, the education of clergy, both for priesthood and the diaconate. And um, and so I told my wife, I said, I think we're called to raise our family. And we did. We raised our family in Denver and only came back to California about 10 years ago um, when um, uh, uh, after conversations with um, our Archbishop Gomez's chancery and mm -hmm. then Archbishop Cordelione, it was clear that there was a mission here to kind of take what happened in Denver and, and uh, bring that kind of spiritual renewal through teaching the church, uh, teaching the truth, excuse me, that, um, that we saw in Denver, uh, out here. And so you're now there at, uh, St. Patrick's and still doing the same kind of work and formation and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, in earlier in my career, I served as academic Dean first in Denver, then in Los Angeles, and then finally in St. Patrick's. But while I served as uh, um, academic dean, I also began to teach uh, spiritual theology and uh, at all three places. Oh, about ten years ago, a little bit more than ten years ago, um, uh, I uh, met uh, Dan Burke online. We began to work on uh, various projects, and he said, "I have a dream of starting an online school where people can learn about spiritual theology." And I had just developed a curriculum uh, for another school that was going to work with the lay faithful. And um, they were uh, all excited about it, but then they changed their vision completely. And I thought, God, why did you have me develop this curriculum? And so while while Dan was talking, I, I shared the curriculum with him and we started together the Avila Institute uh, for Spiritual Formation, which has a graduate program, but also uh, more of an undergraduate level engagement too. And uh, and that uh, beautiful gift from God has helped uh, people with their spiritual life all over the world. So I've, I've had the honor of helping uh, raise up a new generation of peace, uh, of priests who are on fire for the truth, uh, who are not afraid to go deep in prayer and who, who are obedient. Um, uh, to the church. 
but I've also had the honor of working with missionaries and catechists, priests and religious, and lay faithful all over the world and helping them plummet the depths of prayer and discover the mission that God has called them to um, uh, in, in these days. I believe all of this is part of the new evangelization mm-hmm. that um, John Paul II called us to. Yeah, it seems to me that we have got to have a new generation of young apologists out there as well to really help to communicate to their peers uh, the the truths of of the faith. Now, I know that you just concluded a major retreat online uh, called Eche Homo, Behold the Man. Uh, was that was that a, a good experience for for you and Dan? It, we were just blown away at the response. Uh, uh, Eight thousand. People signed up for it in one form or another, and uh, the lineup of speakers, the number of we, – we live at a time of incredible generosity where mm-hmm. um, men of and women of all walks of life are stepping forward to witness to their faith, and um, uh, some who have the gift of apologetics, which we do need, and, and uh, but many different kinds of gifts were brought right. to bear, and I think it really helped a, a whole bunch of people enter into this – Holy Week and Triduum that's approaching us, um, I think uh, it will be the source of a lot of spiritual renewal. We were very pleased with it. That is, that's good to hear. I I know I was able to kind of partake of a few little segments of a couple of videos, and wow. And I know that they're still available online to those that registered for the conference, which is really neat. And uh, uh well, I really want us to kind of dig into this document that uh, that we have before us. And um, I don't know when the first time it was that you read uh, Archbishop Miller's document, but what were some of your initial impressions about uh, this kind of a document that is an overarching view, kind of a, a composite of what a Catholic school uh, should look like? What were some of your initial impressions? For me, one of the things that um, well stood out was I I kind of uh, uh, had been in touch with with Archbishop at the time this this document came out as the academic dean he uh, he actually visited our our seminary out in Denver and um, I, and so this uh, these ideas were kind of in the air and and being been floated around him. What I most resonated with was the the fifth uh, characteristic about teaching and the vocation to be a teacher mm-hmm. and um, uh, an excellence in teaching and because um, uh, it what he had to say, the kind of teaching that is not only informational but transformational, uh, uh, a, a kind of teaching that requires uh, that teachers become people of prayer. Uh, that was intriguing to me. But the other part of, of the document happens to co- co- correspond with the mark that you're talking about. It, you know, his vision is a very Catholic vision. It touches all, all dimensions. And, um, uh, and so there's, it's thought provoking in, in the global uh, total vision he has. But this, the part on anthropology is especially important. Uh, uh, This was brought home to me. I defended my doctorate in 98, and after my defense, I I went, uh, I I ran into Cardinal Stafford, 
Cardinal Stafford was the Archbishop in Denver during World Youth Day, and he had been appointed to be oversee World Youth Day worldwide. So he's in charge of um, uh, uh, one of the Vatican offices that oversaw uh, uh, the work of evangelization and, and this World Youth Day. And, uh, and so I ran into him at a bookstore. And I thought, oh, this is really, I felt really good running into uh -huh. him. And, and I thought, I thought, oh, what are, what's the chances, you know? And, and so, but I, I thought, well, I don't want to impose on his time. So after greeting him, I kind of moved on to the next bookstore. And while I was in the next bookstore, I turned around and there he was again. And so, <laughs> so we talked anyway, the third time I walked away that the third time I ran into him, I said, Archbishop, we should go for dinner. And we, we did, we went for dinner and he took me on a walk in the Vatican gardens before dinner. And he told me the story of Arch, uh, of, um, uh, St. Charles Borromeo and how, uh, St. Charles Borromeo called for a renewal of, um, uh, uh, of the church founded in a deeper, more vibrant humanism, which requires a better understanding of anthropology and of, of Christian anthropology. And that kind of set a direction for me. Uh, uh, I, I began to realize that so many problems that we have today in uh, not only in education, but in just people thriving as human beings is that we don't really understand ourselves as people. And as Catholics, most of us haven't really fully received the uh, the church's teaching on who and what the human person is. And so the uh, finding what John Paul II calls an adequate anthropology is absolutely vital if we want to renew Catholic education. And anyway, those were the thoughts that I I left with uh, um, uh, to in answer to your question. It, he confirmed something that was bubbling in my heart. Well, as we look at that mark <clears throat> and think about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, being founded on a Christian anthropology, I know Archbishop Miller in the document said, as we know, grace builds on nature because of this complementarity of the natural and the supernatural. It is especially important that those involved in Catholic education have a sound understanding of the human person. And he goes on to talk about the fact that this not only involves the students, but it also goes to the parents, teachers, staff, administrators, and to the trustees. But before we branch out into that, could you kind of hitchhike on his words and give us a, a, a description of what do we mean by Christian anthropology? So we're, we're talking about an understanding of the, of the human person that um, uh, it's uh, on one hand, uh, we, we don't believe that only Christians need to look at the human person the way we do, uh, but um, that that there's uh, something very reasonable about what we present as the as the human person. But um, but we also, besides what's reasonable about the human person, we also look at the human person through the lens of divine revelation, and and at the heart of that uh, lens, we see that the human person is in the image and likeness of God. And, uh, and so that, um, this, uh, what is sacred, uh, is kind of at the very heart of our existence. If you, and what does this mean for educators? If you leave out what is sacred, 
uh, when, as you address and uh, and try to form somebody's humanity, as you try to educate and uh, and and raise someone up into maturity, if you leave out what's sacred, you've neglected the most important part of their life. Uh, this image, this imago dei, um, uh, uh, it, it's it's revealed in biblical uh, in our uh, bib- biblical testimony. Um, uh, it's what Christ came to redeem, to save, because it was at risk because of sin. But it's never completely disappeared from um, uh, uh, from our human experience, and um, and so summoning people back to their greatness and their dignity to help them understand not only um, the gift of their life but also the challenge of uh, of who they are. All of these become um, uh, vital questions in a Christian anthropology. It's an anthropology that sees the dignity of person of a person. It's an anthropology that understands their their gifts as something uh, meant for the praise and glory of God, and uh, and that their life they're meant to thrive um, uh, in this world, and that as they thrive, they uh, they actually reveal God's glory on earth. And um, and so uh, in the contemporary magisterium, we repeat often, but it's a powerful line from St. Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully alive and the life of man is the vision of God. And so in Catholic education, to help people become fully who they're meant to be, we um, uh, at the heart of our effort is to help them find God. One of the things that we see, I think, today in our culture <clears throat> is this whole idea of an integrated human person is is being dissected and compartmentalized so that uh, basically the interior of man is oriented on feelings, and then those feelings we can take and dictate what the exterior needs to look like. And those and so we we have this this unique and and uh, interesting, cultural battleground right now uh can you talk for just a moment about um what kind of momentum might be needed to really can we turn that around or what's the best way forward for us to really demonstrate and explain uh this kind of anthropological approach yeah well you're you're right to point out we um Everything I've said, somebody might intellectually assent to, uh, but not kind of realize how challenging that is in our our culture. Uh, and uh, we kind of need to frankly um, uh, assess uh, uh, kind of some of the things that are going on culturally in terms of the amount of fear and resentment that young people have as they come into the uh, into back to school, back to class. And that that fear and resentment is a, a byproduct of a lot of different social policies and commercial practices. Uh, uh, I, I, I know this because I've talked to business leaders that uh, if you can keep a population, uh, 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 you know, a little bit anxious, a little bit fearful, or a little bit greedy, you can predict their reputation, their um, their behavior. When a a population is um, is is uh, filled with altruism, they said we can't predict it. And so, and so uh, 
not, I don't think it's intentional on most people's part, but there are forces in our culture right now that push people, nudge them towards a uh, kind of anxiety, fear, uh, resentment. And our young people have picked this up. And that's fundamentally against their, their dignity and freedom. Uh, what's promoted in the anthropology that we need to confront is that if you uh, happiness fulfillment is found in in realizing uh, autonomy, and, and so if I the more autonomy and power I have to be autonomous, the happier I'm going to be. But in fact, we've kind of seen over and over again that only increases fear and resentment. Mm-hmm. What our young people need and what Christian anthropology offers is true freedom. And true freedom is the freedom to love one another. And that's very different than individual autonomy. Individual autonomy does not give you the freedom to love someone. It, it locks you into your own selfishness. The freedom that we have in Christ Jesus because of the power of grace in us helps us unleash our human be- potential by... Uh, by seeing the other person uh, uh, for the, 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 the gift from God that they are. It readies our response for them. It helps, and, and that vision of the human person is the glory of God. This enables us to, uh, to be ready to serve them. If uh, this other vision of, um, of freedom, the freedom to love, the freedom to sacrifice, the freedom for communion, uh, the freedom to enjoy another person for who they are um, instead of their usefulness to me. Uh, uh, this is the big battle right now that's waging in America. And because we haven't fought it very well, our society's a little bit on the brink right now. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, uh, Catholic education has a very powerful mission uh, to, to American society on exactly this point. And are there... Uh... I guess the the platform we're really talking about is by uh, transferring these uh, these uh, ideas, the, this whole idea of uh, a proper anthropology to a generation who will then take it with them into the world, living it out and having the ability to explain it. Uh, and this to me is really a, a, a critical thing for us to, form our our generations in this way how do you reinforce a proper anthropology within let's say a a typical classroom today well that's a powerful uh that's powerful and uh, you you'll have to forgive me because most of my educational experience has been with um with graduate students which is a little bit different um but uh there, there's a whole realm of small things, uh, uh, ordinary hidden things, where um, you are inductively teaching this anthropology. Uh, the love with which a student is greeted and welcomed into a classroom helps the student uncover, uh, discover on their own the dignity that they have. Teaching students to honor each other in the classroom uh, uh, also inclines them to this kind of anthropology that we're talking about. It's a, it's a powerful thing. When somebody feels recognized and welcomed, you'll notice they sit up a little bit straighter and they're more responsive. 
And uh, whereas if they feel threatened uh, or, um, or, or unfairly uh, treated, they close down right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that mechanism already unveils to us uh, uh, how essential it is not only to teach the anthropology, but actually to uh, conduct our classes in light of the fact that uh, God has entrusted us with these these young men and women who are in the image and likeness of God and uh, whose eternal destiny is been uh, entrusted to us for this time while they're in our classrooms. Um, so that that would be the the first thing. It also touches on whole areas of how you discipline a class and mm-hmm. and how you keep good order in the class and how you excite and and this goes with the thing. We believe um, we're not educating. Well, let me put it this way: we're not educating consumers and cogs in the wheel of social progress. We're educating endpoints in eternity. And uh, and irrepeatable instances of God's glory, uh, who who's who need to unleash all the p- potential powers and ex- excellences that they have in their soul. And one of these excellences, I think that uh, I was just talking to an educator last night, is especially at risk is the power of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, curiosity can be a vice when it's not disciplined, but a good teacher will help students tap into that power of curiosity and order it for the glory of God, which means um, if it's mathematics the child is interested in, help them see the beauty and the glory of all that, uh, 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 all the, the wonderful patterns God created in the world that mathematics opens up to us. Help them see that the truth is being itself and all of a sudden something comes into the soul and they begin to flourish. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking with a group of teachers the other day about this very thing. And one of the things that they talked about is that too often in the classroom, uh, when it comes to interaction other than the content, that they're focusing all of their uh, energy and focus on misbehaviors. Mm. (laughs) You know, uh, the kids acting out, the kids doing different things. And one of the things they began to talk about is the need to reinforce the uh, the ones who are actually living out a good life at this point in the classroom and to help them to develop a worldview that this is the way that 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 God wants us to be, you know, where we recognize his glory and we participate in it. And so that the uh, the the students who are really on target with understanding uh, the environment that they're in, they, they're reinforced rather than just kind of sidelined. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And, uh, it, you know, uh, that takes a little bit of art and, yeah. and this, it, to do that, a teacher, um, well, this John Bosco had this really powerful line. It's not enough to love children. Children need to feel loved. Yeah. And when you can have that a child feels loved in your classroom and you offer a word of affirmation, the other kids all hear that too. And, and, and it creates a kind of environment. So it's, yeah, it seems to me that, uh, again, I like the fact that we're talking about the little things within the classroom. It isn't that we're sitting down and saying to students, okay, today we're going to learn about Christian anthropology 
you are a human person. You are made up of, you know, and going through this uh, kind of grammar, although that's important and it needs to be foundational, but it's really more of a caught worldview, isn't it? That this is the world that I live in at the school. This is how we do science. This is how we do math. This is how we do English, that it all comes from us exploring the wonder uh, as human persons. Uh, Edith Stein actually uh, uh, tapped into something that you've just opened up here in our conversation, and that is teaching uh, inquire, requires great empathy because it's it's very much an interpersonal thing. That, um, and, and this is one of our problems with contemporary mo modes of teaching. It's treated like it's uh, uh, the art of imparting information, and it's really not about imparting information. It's about a human connection in which we um, we help the other be vulnerable to to a beautiful wisdom that we share together and we come to appreciate together. It's an enterprise that we not something that we do to our students, but it's something that with our students we discover together. And and the difference is when it's informational and it's something that you're doing to the child. That you're preparing them to be a cog in the wheel. This is exactly what a lot of education is today, and it's not serving our country. But this other thing where we discover the truth together and together stand in awe of it. You know, a, a great pedagogue in our time is uh, Bishop Barron. Yeah. If you look at his series, what's he constantly doing all throughout his series and different things he gets into? He's helping us uh, be as filled with wonder as he is over the beauty of the church and the beauty of our faith. That's the kind of thing with our, our children in the classroom. We want them to share the vision. And, and, um, and, and when you have a goal like that, uh, it's not that all the behavioral problems go, go away, but it's that you have a better context to, to deal with those problems. You don't lose sight of the end. And it's interesting, I think, at that point when the students feel drawn into that learning, they'll even be a part of policing each other, saying, wait, yeah. shh, shh, this is important stuff that we're working on here, yeah. which, which would be a breakthrough for any teacher to have students that engaged. Yeah, John Bosco was kind of a master on this. He would take right. the biggest troublemaker and make the best friend out of that guy yeah. and get that guy to help him teach the class, basically. <laughs> you know, uh, I never mastered that technique, but it illustrates what you're talking about when there's a kind this is what I experienced at Steubenville, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, at Steubenville, as I was walking up to class, you know, all my all my fellow students would, were asking me, you know, have you had your prayer time? What did God say to you in your prayer time? And, you know, wasn't it a beautiful reading at Mass today? And so by the time I got to class, all I could th think of, I want to go have my prayer time and I want to get to Mass <laughs> yeah. as soon as I can. Well, yeah. you know, um, that kind of environment and culture in a in in a school kind of raises the water up and and it makes everybody a lot more receptive to 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 the teaching that the whole purpose of the school to begin with and it seems to me then uh, that takes us to what archbishop miller was talking about that really it's more than just the students having this environment and really the teachers first and foremost need to be formed this way and then somehow it needs to be brought to even parents, to trustees, and to others. And uh, one of the things that 
I've noted both when I was president of a Catholic high school and involved in a couple of parishes where we had parish schools is that many of our parents don't take their faith seriously and don't take the formation of their kids seriously. And so the kids are kind of out there floundering. Uh, what are some ways do you think that we might be able to give uh, some tools or exposure or something to parents uh, that would help them really kind of be more involved in in the whole formation process of their students, but also with themselves as well. Well, the that pastor I worked with in Colorado, he was a master at this. He uh, this was Good Shepherd Parish, and what he did was he started a variety of different um, uh, educational, catechetical, biblical uh, studies. Uh, at the parish, and we brought in speakers from all over, really all over the world. Um, to this day, people say that was the golden era of Good Shepherd Parish, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and what what happened? We didn't win over all the pa- pa- parents, and and some people just never, you know, it just wasn't their their thing at that stage of their life, and and um, other people had a, an openness. Uh, because of the educational efforts that they wouldn't have otherwise had and how and whether they took advantage of it. I, I, I don't know. I kind of lost touch with them. But there was also a group of parents who became on fire for the faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that group um, not only was a blessing for the school that we were at, but as their kids got older and they began to go to other schools in the area – they they began to plant seeds and uh, and there was eventually a renewal of Catholic education in 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 Denver because the parent because we got into the the hearts of the parents you know if somebody's saying well you know if I was what exactly did we open up for the parents and and this gets back to the anthropology when I said that we we were we're created in the image and likeness of God. Well, what is God? God is a communion of persons. And in this communion of persons, God beholds uh, everything that is good, beautiful, and true. Uh, and, uh, and, and shares it, receives it and shares it. And that's a, an eternal communication. Um, the contemplative life to behold what is good, beautiful, and true is to allow that into your heart to transform your interior life, to uh, raise up uh, all your interior powers above themselves. And uh, uh, we're able to do that because we're in the image and likeness of a God who is that kind of communication. Well, when a parent tastes that themselves, the goodness and the truth of God, their heart begins to burn because they They've tasted something that they've wanted to have their whole life. And and now some deep need that was empty has all of a sudden been answered for them. And they want this for their kids and they want this for their, their friends and they want this for their friends' kids. You can't have a more powerful apostle than a parent who's been set on fire by the love of God. And um and and so this this is what I, I discovered in of course, World Youth Day was part of that whole mix too. Uh, um, but once a a group of parents got on fire, it changed everything. 
that I, I feel like I'm going to make an embroidery of that one phrase you just used. You can't have a better apostle than an than a parent who is on fire with the love of God. I think that right there would just transform families, transform schools, uh, transform so much of society. Uh, I, I love that. You know, one of the things that uh, I really want to touch on, because I think it's another part of this whole component, has to do with the the end of man. Uh, it was about 30 years ago that uh, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, then Cardinal Ratzinger, actually, uh, was talking to a group in Prague, and he talked about the fact that that there was a difference between eschatology, which is the understanding and belief of the end times and eternal life, and a utopia that that he sees kind of replacing eternity. And he says that what's happening is that people are replacing eternal life with the hope of a better world in the future. And so this even changes our understanding of anthropology, I would think. Oh, this is absolutely vital. And so thank you for raising it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pope Benedict, when he uh, was drafted into the, um, uh, the German army, uh, his, his uh, sergeant, his drill sergeant was uh, uh, asking the young recruits, you know, what are you going to do after the war? And people were saying they wanted to be doctors and lawyers and um, uh, uh, engineers. And they got to him and he said he wanted to be a priest and the sergeant mocked him. He goes, you know, uh, in the new Germany, we won't need priests anymore. Uh, uh, all uh, We will have a perfectly happy society and everybody will have everything they need. And uh, and so you won't have any work to do in the new Germany. And and Pope Benedict said, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, he said, I, I, I said to myself in that very moment that, not only is Germany not going to win this war, but uh, after we lose, we will need priests more than ever. And <laughs> yeah. and and uh, and and that tr that's the problem with utopia. Uh, utopia is never realized, uh, and when it's never realized afterwards, there's profound frustration and disappointment, and uh, and and people lose their hope. And and this really is our social ill today. What's what what's going on with America? America's lost hope, mm -hmm. and it's lost hope because it's lost God. With God, a pathway is opened up, not to a better world, but to heaven, which is um, uh, the place where God's glory is accomplished without any impediment. And Jesus, He prayed. Uh, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, heaven is kind of like the standard under which we rally. Things aren't as they should be here on earth, but uh, but we are tasked by faith to um, uh, uh, to live here now as if we will be living in heaven. We won't have our uh, perfect fulfillment in this life. Things won't go exactly the way we want to, but something beautiful is awaiting us. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, no matter how difficult, something beautiful is awaiting us. And and we have a mutual task with each other then to help each other look for what's coming. You know, uh, 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 Josephine, Josephina uh, Bakita, 
the the woman who had been taken uh who was a slave and became a religious they said why are you so joyful all the time you were a slave and they mistreated you and aren't you angry and bitter to the people who mistreated you so badly and um and and she said she said no god was with me the whole time uh you know i have joy because i know i am awaited by love when a young person wow. knows in their heart that they are awaited by love they can go through anything and their dignity and their integrity is stronger for it when you're when you don't believe that that's what's waiting for you when you lose sight of that when you don't have god in your heart then your reason for hope diminishes and um and and it becomes difficult to bear even when everything's going right and so that's our challenge yeah and it seems to me that we're living in a society right now where <clears throat> people think well if i just change my body or if i change my lifestyle or if i change this and people will be happy with me, then I'll be happy with me. And if I'm happy with me, then I have, you know, then we're living in a perfect world. And beyond that, I really, you know, that's, that's really where I want to be. And that, that's so sad that that's as far as, as people are thinking, they're not thinking into eternity. Well, this is, this is what I, I uh, when I was talking about autonomy and power, uh, we live under the enchantment that if you have enough power to uh, to exercise uh, uh, whatever autonomy you want to exercise in whatever way you want to exercise it, that somehow happiness opens up that mm -hmm. way. But reality's not that forgiving. You know, re reality's pretty forgiving, but it's not that forgiving. If you act against reality, you're going to hurt not only yourself but everybody around you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's being lost in this. And so we, we live at a time where there's tremendous power to manipulate and, and even our own bodies, uh, but manipulate culture and all kinds of things with, with uh, information technology. And this power is being used in opposition to reality. It's hurting people. Mm -hmm. And the people who are, are, are abusing technology this way are hurting themselves even more. Uh, humanity's at risk because we don't we do not humbly accept the gift of who we are before God and step up to his that challenge. I I work with men and part of working with the men in the seminary is is to help them realize what it means to be a man mm -hmm. and to stand up for something and to be counted and and to to show up and appear and to be strong because we need you to be strong. This means accepting your mascul masculinity and, uh, and ex accepting uh, the brokenness that's in you, but also accepting uh, all the things that is part of the gift of who you are. And, and then going, now, how do I bring this to, to, into the service of the Lord? Mm -hmm. You know, what does this mean? And uh, the fundamental thing, though, to open up that whole conversation is to help them see that everything in their life is a gift. You know, and uh, and and it's the challenge they have is what they do with this gift. Even their weaknesses can become a gift if um, yeah. if they surrender them to the Lord. And uh, uh, so 
So the gift comes with a challenge and stepping up into the challenge is about human maturity, becoming a man and woman, becoming a, a father and mother, or in the case of a priest or religious, a, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. Uh, but but we need to come up into maturity. We can't do that uh, as long as we're not uh, willing to um, to accept the world that God has given us. I remember talking to a priest not too long ago who <clears throat> had gone through uh, dealing with his own brokenness. And he said that one of the greatest gifts that he has is that that brokenness and his ability to address it has been one of the greatest gifts in terms of ministering to other people. Because uh, then he said, they present themselves in in their brokenness, and I can give them hope, knowing that I too have have found a way to overcome. So, you know, that's really a wonderful, wonderful thing for us to understand that the fullness of our of our humanity does involve not just those things which are good, but those things which are broken and can be healed. Yeah, and and you know, and again, coming back to this conversation, these are all things we seeds that we plant in in the classroom uh, in the earliest grades that uh god is good he has a plan and you have gifts and you also have challenges in your life and if you learn how to surrender these to god you learn how to offer it up or and give things mm-hmm. um uh god has a plan and it's going to be good and beautiful and uh, and you're going to discover something really wonderful about who he is and who you are in the process. You know, these are th- this is uh, um, the beauty. No other education system besides Catholic education can open up that kind of conversation exactly like the way we're talking about. That is absolutely true. I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about I saw this this um, picture that was drawn by a young child who was from a, a, a broken home, broken environment. I mean, just a mess. And in going through the process of, of her own brokenness, uh, as a young girl, she made this drawing and it said, it was, it said, I am good because I am God's and God don't make junk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. good. Well, listen, uh, Anthony, as we kind of close things up, as we look at those five marks, is there, as you read through the document, is there an additional identifying mark that you think should be added to the list? Oh, I, uh, I love when you can organize something the way, you know, uh, Archbishop Miller is, um, uh, a great educator. And I think I love the structure that he's put together. And, uh, and I think it, um, uh, I think this, what you're doing right now, unpacking this, helping us rediscover what's there. Um, uh, this is a compelling vision. Uh, if we can receive it, the, the problem is with so many of these documents, we read it and we intellectually assent to its contact tense, but we don't really take it in to, what this means for 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 my school and the schools where where it is taken taken in i i just got to visit uh, uh jay sarah uh, a oh, few months yeah. ago that's one of our dia schools yeah. yeah wow well you know obviously uh uh they're living out these five marks in a very powerful way and you could see it in the faces of the students you could see it in the faculty and um, uh, uh, one of my former former students, Patrick Reedy, uh, uh, has wow. been very yeah. involved there. And 
and I, I, you know, I said, uh, you know, what is this? You know, what did you do? And, and he said, he, he said, God is amazing. God is amazing in the way he <laughs> yeah. works. And so Archbishop Miller's vision that he opens up, I think it, it, it creates space for God to do something amazing in our schools if we'll take it to heart. I couldn't agree more. And I, I do hope and pray. And that's one of the goals of this uh, series is to unpack it a little bit more and perhaps give uh, administrators and teachers a hunger for digging down into these marks and really taking a good hard look at the schools that they're a part of. I know for me, when I was uh, president of a high school, it was a brand new school that opened up. And these marks are kind of like the, you know, the road signs. Okay. How are we doing in this and that? And I think whether it's a new school or an old school, this is a great place to visit right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I, I, and I guess one of the things I, I wanted to tell you is to thank you for your leadership in Catholic education. And, um, you know, um, uh, oftentimes uh, it, it's one of these works that kind of gets overlooked and, uh, but um, there are generations of, uh, of students who, because of, of priests like yourself, who, um, who said yes to, uh, uh, to this kind of work, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, John Bosco, uh, uh, he changed Italy through this kind of work. And, mm -hmm. and, and so thank you for, for the way you've poured yourself out, uh, uh, in, uh, um, in so many different ways, but especially for those young people in that high school, very powerful. Well, it was uh, a definite, diff definitely a different experience for me, having been in pastoral ministry for a number of years, but one that was uh, truly uh, refreshing and life-changing in terms of my passion for Catholic education and the opportunity that we have as, uh, as educators today to really see the transformation of lives. It's not so much that we inform their minds, is that they go through a transformation through an encounter with Jesus. So, Amen. yeah, Amen. We, used, we say to uh, people when they would come to visit the school that this school was built to get your children to heaven, but we'd like them to go to college first. So, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Anthony, thank you so much for this. This has been wonderful to have you as a guest today on Follow to Lead. I, I know that you just finished this wonderful uh, Ecce Homo, Behold the Man online retreat. Is there any other project going on that people might want to be interested in uh, coming up in the future that you'd like to uh, perhaps highlight for us? Oh, well, um, I, I, I am uh, uh, involved with the Center for Contemplative Culture. And, and so from uh, June, uh, uh, June 8th to 15th here at Holy Transfiguration Monastery in, um, in Ukiah, California, we're we're going to have the symposium uh, here, and uh, if if somebody feels called to come to that, it's it's for um, it's for Catholic thinkers and artists and uh, contemplatives to come and talk about how we can we might renew Catholic culture. So, uh, so wow. yeah, thank you for allowing me to to put that out. And and but most of all, if you could please um, uh, those of you who are listening to this. Um, this uh, broadcast, if you could please uh, pray 
for the young men who are in formation. Uh, uh, in seminaries across the country, we the Avila Institute has something called a high calling program. It prepares men to enter seminary and uh, 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 kind of takes them through uh, what is the spiritual life? What does it mean that God may be calling you? And, uh, and, and uh, it's made me acutely aware that um, that our men who are trying to say yes to God right now need our prayers. Mm -hmm. They need our fasting and they need our prayers. And so if you could please uh, pray for uh, men and women today to be able to say yes to what God is calling them to. Well, a big amen to that, definitely. Anthony, thank you for bringing that to our attention. That we, And, uh, of course, uh, vocations are definitely uh, in great uh, need today with so many priests retiring and a new generation uh, needing to be led. So uh, again, thanks for being with us today. And for our audience, uh, if you haven't already, please be sure to follow our podcast and leave a comment to encourage us toward future programs. Uh, to learn more about Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative, you can visit our website at diaschools.org, and you will find a downloadable version of Archbishop Miller's presentation available there on the podcast page. We also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for his work in the editing of this podcast. Again, Anthony, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Father. It's been a joy to be with you. And for all that are uh, participating in this program, may Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.